My name is Paul Harbottle and welcome to Victoria Cross Podcast. Most servicemen and women are brave, but there is something special about holders of the Victoria Cross. They are modest men who, above all else, want to appear ordinary. But they are, of course, nothing of the sort. Many things have changed the face of warfare, but the nature of human bravery and raw courage remains as impressive now as it ever was. If a man says he's not afraid of dying, He's either lying or he's a gawker. This quote was by Sam Meckinshaw, Indian Army's first field marshal. Immediately prior to the engagement, Pun, who was the 1st Battalion Royal Gurkha Rifles acting sergeant, was at sentry duty at a checkpoint guarding his unit's compound. Taliban fighters planting bombs near the compound gate under the cover of darkness, suddenly surrounded and attacked his post with AK-47s and RPG-7s. Acting Sergeant Pun, alone and believing he was about to die, decided to kill as many of the enemy as was possible. During the engagement, he reportedly spent all of his ammunition, more than 400 rounds, used 17 hand grenades and a claymore mine before battering the last fighter with the tripod of his machine gun. Two Taliban were still attacking his post when he set off the Claymore mine. Diprasad Pun was decorated the conspicuous gallantry cross for his act of bravery, and upon receiving the award, Pun said he had no choice but to fight, the reason being that the Taliban had surrounded his checkpoint and that he was alone. During the engagement, Pun saved the lives of three of his comrades and prevented his post from being overrun. His actions are cited as the bravest seen in his battalion during two hard tours during the War of Afghanistan. It has to be noted, of course, his grandfather had also won a decoration, the Victoria Cross in the Second World War against the Japanese. It's this sort of action that is synonymous with the reputation of the Gawkers. Now, if you're wondering why I'm not saying the word Gurkha instead of Gawker, it's simply that it's a European affectation, if you will. The Gurkhas themselves came from the Valley of the Gorka. In the Himalayan Republic of Nepal, Located between two Asian giants, China and India, lies the small hilltown district of Gorkha, famed for being the homeland of the legendary group, the Gurkhas. 
With a battle cry, Aeol Gulkali, meaning the Gurkhas are here, and the motto, it's better to die than to be a coward, the Kikuri-wielding warriors earned a fearsome reputation. Legend has it that once a Gurkha draws a Kikuri, he must draw blood with that blade. A British soldier once wrote in his memoirs of the Gurkhas, I have never seen more steadiness or bravery exhibited in my life. Run they would not, and of death they seemed to have no fear, though their comrades were falling thick all around them. Now, the Gurkhas have a fearsome reputation, an almost legendary mystique. Built up from over the last two centuries, they are the most respected warriors in the world and are known for their slouch hats and curved kikuri knives. The kikuri knife is a national knife of Nepal. It's a working tool, used every day in rural communities. It's also used for ceremonial purposes. Kikuris come in many different shapes, including some giant versions capable of decapitating a water buffalo. Gurkhas originate from the mountainous regions of Gorkha, one of the 75 districts of modern Nepal. The name was also used by the kingdom formed for the unification of the territory in the 18th century. The kingdom fought a war against the British East India Company beginning in 1814 and ending in a peace treaty signed in 1815 and ratified in 1816 after the company's force suffered such heavy casualties that they decided that it was best simply to treaty with the Gurkhas. So impressed they were by the fighting skills of their enemies, the British decided that they would include a provision in the peace treaty, and when they signed it with the Napoli king, allowing them to recruit Gurkhas to serve in the British army, thereby laying the foundations for nearly two centuries of military association between the two sides. And at that time, hardly anyone would have imagined that roughly a century later, the Gurkhas would be fighting alongside British troops thousands of miles away from home on European soil during World War I. Now, during the First World War, more than 90,000 Gurkhas served in the Indian Army, suffering approximately 20,000 casualties and receiving almost 2,000 gallantry awards. Gurkhas fought on the Western Front, Gallipoli, Egypt, Palestine, Mesopotamia and on the Northwest Frontier. During the Battle of Luz in France in the autumn of 1915, a battalion of the 8th Gurkhas suffered terrible casualties, hurling themselves time and time again against the weight of the German defences. And in the words of the Indian Corps commander, Lieutenant General Sir James Wilcox, found its Valhalla. At Gallipoli, the 1st and the 6th Gurkhas Having landed at Cape Hells, which is the southernmost tip of the peninsula, led the assault during the first major operation to take out a Turkish high point, and in doing so, captured a feature that later became known as Gurkha Bluff. 
in the words of British General Sir James Wilcox, Gurkhas were exposed to every form of terror, and they could reply only with their valour and their rifles, and two machine guns per battalion, with which they were armed with no trench mortars or hand grenades, and yet they did it. At Seribea, they were the only troops in the entire Gallipoli campaign to reach and take a crest line and look down on Turkish defences. Now, I am fully aware of the fact that New Zealanders, and before they start throwing rocks at me, they also were, took a high crest called Tunic Bear. But unfortunately, uh, they were pushed off. There was only a handful of them and they made a famous last stand, but eventually they got pushed off it. However, the Gurkhas held theirs. Sir Ralph Turner, MC, a Gurkha officer during this time, gave the soldiers their reputation from this quote. Bravest of the brave, most generous of the generous, never had a country more faithful friends than you. In World War II, they fought the Germans in Italy and the Japanese in Burma. 26 Victoria Crosses, the ultimate award for gallantry in the British and Commonwealth forces, have been awarded to the members of the Gurkha regiments. And tonight, we're going to talk about a man called Gajay Gali. Gajay Gali was a Gurung of the Gal tribe. He was born in Bapak village in the Gorkha district of Nepal on August the 1st, 1918, although he admitted that he had been born on July the 1st, 1922. In 1934, he enlisted as a boy recruit and on completing his training, joined the 2nd Battalion, 5th Royal Gurkha Rifles, who were called the Frontier Force. He served in Waziristan and from 1939 to 1942 was an instructor at the Regimental Centre in Abbottabad. Before the Second World War broke out, Burma was a part of the British Empire. Having been progressively occupied and annexed following three Anglo-Burmese wars in the 19th century, Japan swept down through Asia, taking Singapore, Malaysia and into Burma. They entered the war primarily to obtain raw materials, especially oil, from European, particularly Dutch possessions in the Southeast Asia, which were weakly defended because of the war in Europe. Their plans involved an attack on Burma partly because of Burma's own natural resources, which included some oils from fields, but also minerals such as cobalt and large supplies of rice. Also, to protect their flank from the main attack against Malaya and Singapore and provide a buffer zone to protect the territories that they intended, the Japanese decided to invade Burma. The Japanese forced their way across the countryside cutting through impenetrable malaria-ridden jungle, all the while pushing British troops back towards Bangladesh, which guarded the Indian plains. On May 24, 1943, a large force of Japanese were attempting to make an advance into the Chin Hills, where the 2nd and the 5th Gurkhas were part of the defence force located there. 
that Japanese occupied a vital tactical point, the key to the position on Basha East Hill. Now the approach to which was just a long thin knife edge ridge, which in some places was little more than 15 feet wide. Two attempts to capture this point had been attempted and both had failed. For the Japanese were able to rake the position with fire from a dozen machine guns, as well as artillery and mortars from concealed positions in the surrounding jungle. On May 25th, Gajay Gali was given the task of taking the position. Although it was his first time under fire, he showed the beginning of outstanding courage. Shouting the Gurkha battle cry, he led assault after assault along the ridge onto the entrenched Japanese. A Japanese hand grenade wounded Gajagali in the chest, arm and leg. Though covered with blood, he ignored his injuries and continued to throw hand grenades with his other arm. After prolonged hand-to-hand -hand fighting, the position was eventually captured. The Gurkha succeeded in holding it in the face of heavy fire from the Japanese, who were also trying to retake it. In spite of his wounds, Gajagali refused to go back to the regimental aid post until certain that the position was consolidated and secure, and then only when he was eventually ordered by an officer. In 1943, when it was proposed to present Gajagali with the Victoria Cross Medal at the regimental centre at Atabad, the regimental Bahun, the near equivalent of a chaplain in the British regiment, who holds no rank and wears no uniform but is respected as a religious advisor, announced that the date was inauspicious and should be postponed. Soon afterwards, a signal giving official confirmation of the postponement was received. Gajay Gali later received the VC from Field Marshal Lord Wavell in Delhi at a parade beneath the walls of the Red Fort in the presence of a crowd of 5,000. He was later decorated with the Star of Nepal in Kathmandu by the Prime Minister of Nepal. In 1946, Gajay Gali attended the Victory Parade in London and in Independence in 1947. He remained with the battalion, now serving the Government of India. He was promoted Senior Indian Officer. In 1963, he served in the Congo with the United Nations Force, along with Subedar Agassing Ray, a fellow VC who had won his award in 1944. Before retiring, he was granted the honorary rank of Captain. A regular attender of the VC reunions, in 1990, Gajay Gali joined four of the seven Gurkha VC holders then surviving at the opening of the Gurkha Museum at the Peninsula Barracks, Winchester, Hampshire. Five years later, he was one of a gathering of 21 VCs at the Royal Tournament as part of the 50th anniversary of VJ Day. Gajay Gali, who was married with eight children, died on the 28th March 2000 in New Delhi, India. He was cremated at Dira Dun. His medals were initially held on loan by the Gurkha Museum, Winchester, Hampshire. In January 2015, the medals were purchased privately by Michael Ashcroft 
and are now on display at the Ashcroft Gallery at the Imperial War Museum. This is Garjay Gali's citation as reads. Number 6816. Havidar Gajay Gali, 5th Royal Gurkhas Rifles, Indian Army. In order to stop an advance into the Chin Hills, then in Burma, now in Myanmar, of greatly superior Japanese forces, it was essential to capture Basha East Hill, which was the key to the enemy position. Two assaults had failed, but the third assault was ordered to be carried out by two platoons of Havido Gajagali's company and two companies of another battalion. Gajagali was in command of one platoon. He'd never been under fire before and the platoon consisted of young soldiers. The approach of his platoon to their objective was along a narrow knife edge with precipitous sides and bare of jungle, whereas the enemy positions were well concealed. In places, the approach was no more than five yards wide, whereas the enemy positions were well concealed. Besides being subjected to artillery and mortar from the reverse slope on the hill. While preparing for the attack, the platoon came under heavy mortar fire, but Havalidar Gajagali rallied them and led them forward. Approaching to a close range of the well-entrenched enemy, the platoon came under withering fire and with his NCO was wounded in the arm, chest and leg by an enemy hand grenade. Without pausing to attend to his serious wounds and with no heed to the intensifier from all sides, Havaladar Gajagali closed his men and led them to close grips with the enemy when a bitter hand-to-hand -hand fighting struggle ensued. Havaladar Gajagali dominated the fight by his outstanding example of dauntless courage and superb leadership. Hurling hand grenades, covered in blood from his own neglected wounds, he led assault after assault by shouting the Gurkha battle cry. Spurred on by the irresistible will of their leader to win, the platoon stormed and carried the hill by a magnificent all-out effort and inflicted very heavy casualties on the Japanese. Havlidar Gajagali then held and consolidated his hard-won position under heavy fire, and it was not until the consolidation was well in hand that he went, refusing help, to the regimental aid post, when ordered to do so by an officer. The courage, determination and leadership of this NCO, under the most trying conditions, were beyond all praise. The Gurkhas are often referred to with enormous respect, at least it's among the Australian troops, and we refer to them as super soldiers. Now these quiet, small quiet men with ready smiles in the most adverse conditions, are they, look, they're simply as tough as hide leather. Um, no sane soldier would relish squaring off against these seemingly mild, irrepressible troops of and I have to say, almost inexhaustible stamina. And to make this point, I have only one personal anecdote that I can tell you of from myself. I was once on an exercise when I was still in the army and uh, I was marching, doing a forced march with a friend next to me and we were trudging along up this hill. 
and uh, it was a pretty steep hill and I was pretty fit and he was pretty fit and we were only wearing webbing uh, and we were just trudging along getting up there as, as you do and you know we dropped it down into low gear and we we're making short little steps and you know and we we're hammering it out sort of thing but it was pretty hard going I have to say and um, we heard these thump 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 from behind us sort of thing and I turned and I looked and there was these three really small guys and they had these enormous packs on their backs and they were just giving us a bit of a smile as they ran past us like they were just running on flat road and um, I have to say the wind came out of my sails pretty quickly after that I was going oh you know <laughs> they were extraordinary they really were so yes but um, if I can indulge you look I've got a I've gone and collected a few anecdotes because when I've been putting this together, there's there's stories of people, just experiences that they've had. Like myself, they, they just brush up against the Gurkhas, and the Gurkhas just leave an indelible impression upon your your memory of them. And um, so, with your patience, I'll give you a couple more anecdotes if you like. Um, this one I found from Alec Bowman, naval combat system engineer. Uh, he was on a Cora uh, forum and he was answering some questions about the Gurkhas and I think there was a conversation uh, that had come up between whether the United States were um, had the best soldiers you know pound for pound in the world you know and the Gurkhas got thrown into the mix so I'll just simply read, <laughs> read what he's got to say uh, yeah he, he's a hardware manager in uh, the BAE uh, systems and I dare say he was his ex-soldier. So last Saturday night I was at a regimental reunion. We were discussing the belief that the US was an overwhelming superiority of their soldiers over troops from other countries. An ex-CSM in the second paras was talking about the second paras when they visited the 82nd Airborne at Fort Bragg. Now two para also had included uh, C Company, which was a Gurkha company that had been formed from the Royal Gurkha Rifles, the second and the third, in 1996, and were eventually disbanded in 2002. Men in C Company had to pass and earn their wings as any other member of the Airborne Forces. Now, the US troops were surprised to see the little Nepalese soldiers serving in the British Airborne Forces. At some point, somebody thought it was a good idea to hold a skill at arms competition between the Gurkhas and their hosts. A bad miscalculation, even though the competition used US weapons to keep things nice and even. Unfortunately, failing to realise that the M240 is essentially the same as the British GPMG. A whole lot of silverware was up for grabs in the individual and team competitions using a whole range of infantry weapons. Pistols, submachine guns, rifles, machine guns, sniper rifles, etc, etc. At the end of the competition, at the end of the competition, there was to be a run back to the barracks. And apparently it was embarrassing. The Gurkhas had wiped the floor, winning everything going. Not a thing had been won by the 82nd. Even the run back to the barracks, the Gurkhas came in ahead as a squad including a 40-something-year-old captain. So, that was training. 
what are the Gurkhas like in action? Well, this is this is a uh, <laughs> this is a pretty good example here. This is just a retired Gurkha who'd retired out of the Indian Army, and um, he had served as a Gurkha soldier, and he'd climbed onto a train in India, and uh, well. All of a sudden, it became apparent that uh, there was robbers on the train, and they started snatching jewelry, cell phones, cash, laptops, any other belongings that they could off passengers. Now, this particular Gurkha recalled, the soldier had the soldier had somehow remained a silent spectator amidst the the melee, but not for long. He had had enough. When the robbers stripped an 18-year-old girl sitting next to him and tried to rape her right in front of her parents. He then took out his kukuri knife and took on the robbers. The girl cried out for help, saying, You are a soldier. Please save her sister. She recalled, I prevented her from being raped. I prevented her from being raped, thinking of her as my own sister, he added. He took one of the robbers under control and then started to attack the others. He said the rest of the robbers fled after he'd killed three of them with his Kikuri knife and he had injured eight. Fighting the enemy in battle is my duty as a soldier, he said. Taking on the Tocotes in the train, that was my duty as a human being. Essentially, one man had taken on 40 armed thieves with only his knife. Now... Now, this story was in the background of the 1971 India-Pakistan War, when a Gurkha battalion was posted on the western frontier of Pakistan. With the clouds of the 1971 war roaming over the country, during the night, when a group of three Gurkha soldiers were, were posted as a sentry in a post, one Gurkha had fallen asleep. At that time, the CO of the battalion arrived for an inspection. According to army protocols, the weapon assigned to the soldier should be kept with them throughout their tenure of duty and are their responsibility. Now, knowing the fact, the CO of the battalion took away the rifle of the soldier who was fast asleep. The next morning, the CO made the entire battalion line up and inspect their weapons. The CO checked the weapons of all the soldiers. To his surprise, the Gurkha whose rifle had been taken from him was also had a rifle. The CIO called for him after the inspection and asked with a smile that his rifle had been taken away from him and where had he got another one. The Gurkha soldier boldly told him, Sir, I thought my rifle had been taken by the enemy, so I just before dawn, I crossed over the line, slay an enemy with my Kikuri knife and took his rifle back with me. The CIO was shocked. And now, I've kept my favourite for last. Here we go. While in Burma in the Second World War, a Gurkha battalion was asked for volunteers to jump from a plane behind enemy lines. Now, only a few stepped forward, and the officer asking was actually quite bewildered because he'd found that the Gurkhas were extremely brave and they were up for anything. But when he asked again, this time he said, anyone else for this mission to, mission to parachute behind enemy lines? Now, they all stepped forward. Now, he asked the Gurkha Sergeant Major why had so few stepped forward for the first time when he had asked them. 
and he was told by the sergeant major, because you never said parachutes the first time. He was in awe that some were prepared to jump without one. The bravest of the brave. Period. So that concludes this week's episode for Haveldar Gavilgali um, and his how he won the Victoria Cross. Now, I kind of feel sorry for the next person who's uh, up for inspection because, um, well, it's a pretty tough act to go after a Gurkha, I, I <laughs> would imagine. So what next week I might do is I'll, I'm going to put up uh, a man I've... Um, I have a great deal of respect for a long time. He's, a, he's an Australian. And his name is Albert Jack of VC. And, uh, well, he's had a long and distinguished career in the military, and I'm sure we'll get quite a few stories out of that. I I decided this week to fill up with some anecdotes, simply because there's not an awful lot of information about Gajay Gali. Uh, They tend to... How can I put this? They tend not to say very much about themselves, the Gurkhas, and so there's not a lot of fanfare. So consequently, yes, look, I just find them extraordinary, uh, the Gurkhas, and um, I'm sure many other people in the armed forces have also got similar stories, but these were some of the favourites that I could find. Um, I spent over the last week, you know, just trawling over everything there is to do with the Gurkhas, and... They're quite, kind of quite a mysterious little group. They're very, very quiet people. They don't make a big hoo-ha about things and they just do the most extraordinary things. Uh, now, they're quite often thrown into the light of being called uh, special forces in, in their own right, but I don't think that's entirely accurate. I think that the Gurkhas are the greatest infantry soldiers there are, quite frankly. Uh, special forces is a different thing. The Gurkhas are just trained as infantry soldiers and, and, and their greatest ability is just this complete indifference to you know life and death. Uh, they just don't care and they've got extraordinary stamina. Now, they're not trained with special skills or anything like that. They might, as it says with the parachutist sort of thing, they're, they're not... Um, are highly, highly skilled in regards to technical prowess or anything like that, but they're just ferocious fighters. Uh, one thing I did find that was interesting, and I think it makes sense at the end, they're not great swimmers. And the British Army, when they have to train them, they have to make special... They have to um, give them extra training sort of thing because the Nepalese don't generally have any idea how to swim. And when you stop and think about it, you think of the terrain that they live in, and it's there's no flat ground. It's all up and down. There's no, you know, and all the streams that would be around them would be no more than, you know, uh, knee deep or, you know, white waters where you wouldn't consider jumping into the water sort of thing. So, yeah, it's it's quite interesting. So there's, they do have their flaws, but by and large, you, you know, if you're up against soldiers, uh, you know, you can be nervous but still confident about most soldiers. But I think most British soldiers would um, be quite apprehensive if they found out that they were on the on the wrong end of the uh, Gurkhas. 
I know I would be, that's for sure. Uh, now, yes, so Albert Jacker. So come back next week and don't forget to uh, spread this with your friends. If you've got any uh, service friends or anyone like that who likes to hear these stories because we're going to pull out some terrific ones. We really are. Uh, and jump onto iTunes when it pops up eventually. It still hasn't come up yet this week, but uh, it'll eventually be up. And um, give us a review. Now, each week we're going to get better at this because I'm just trying to find just exactly the right format. And I changed the format from last week to this week sort of thing. And I will do that from time to time anyway because, you know, if you've got a story that doesn't have a lot of information and then sometimes you like to fill it out but the Burmese fight in the second world war well it was a pretty confused affair and um but it's, it's if you ever get a chance and you're, you're into your history and I assume most of you would be because you're listening to uh a podcast you know which is essentially military history have a look at the uh the Burma campaign because it really is a fight all by itself. It's it's a weird conglomeration. You had the Chinese in the north fighting with Americans. You had uh, the British, including and I didn't even know this before I had looked through this week. They had West Africans that they'd essentially, well, the, the most generous term I can call is conscripted, but essentially they were just. Uh, grabbed and shoved into uniform, given rifles and put on a boat uh, from West Africa and um, from the, the British holdings. Um, so, yeah, look, I was really surprised about that and apparently they were, they, they were never paid. So, come on, Britain. Um, you know, these people helped fight against the, the war and they still haven't to this day been paid. I was supposed to be given bonuses and things like that. So, yes, we can all do better in that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so quite interesting. I was really, really surprised by that, but I guess I shouldn't be. Anyway, all right, well, next week, it's Albert Jacker. Okay, guys, see you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>